today after the second service, we're going to have a meeting for security and for greeters. If you're interested in either of those positions, you've already signed up more than likely. Um, if you haven't, that's something you want to do. Um, it's going to be a quick meeting, 15 minutes, I think, tops. I don't know what John has for you for the security guys, but we won't do any training today or anything. Just want to go over the basics of what we want for uh, a more organized, uh, I don't know, feel to it as far as greeters and the security team goes. And so that's after second service. Join us for that. Be about, like I said, 15, 20 minutes tops. Um, and then we'll we'll do something later on about scheduling and doing all that. Um, uh, then there's the women's luncheon that's coming up March uh, 24th. You can sign up for that as well. 25th, that's what I meant. 25th, grab a flyer, sign up. And then, uh, and then the Easter uh, presentation that we'd like to start praying about and getting involved in and kind of putting together. Um, uh, it's like a, a walk through our property where you go to different stations and you talk about the cross and everything, not for this Easter, but for next um, and uh, there's acting, and there's scenes, and there's things like that, that that will go on with that. If that's something that's interesting to you, it's like, well, I'm, I might like that. Just sign up, and, and we'll talk to you about your position or what you might want to be involved with in that area. It could be just construction of, of sets and props. It could be actually taking people through. It could be hospitality. There's a lot of different options for that ministry. So um, as we prepare for that next year, um, there's a sign-up sheet for that also. You can, you can put your name down, and she'll get a hold of you. Uh, for that. The movie that came out for uh, Jesus Revolution is going really well. And uh, if you don't know much about it, that's it's sort of like the first year of Calvary Chapel, basically, how we started. Uh, not this church, but the worldwide movement, Jesus movement. And um, it starts off with Lonnie Frisbee, and he was kind of like the spark that started it, it all with Pastor Chuck. Um, and, and so it only covers about a year. So if you want to know more of the history of Calvary Chapel, there's books out here that we have in our bookstore that let you know about 10 or 12 years worth of information as opposed to one. Anyway, that movie uh, came out, and, it, and a lot of you already gone to see it. My daughter came back with her baby, and we ain't going to take any time to watch a movie while she's in town. So once she leaves with uh, and her husband with, uh, with Hudson, um, the baby, then we'll go see that as well. So we're looking forward to that. I bring that up. We're going to show the trailer here for it so you know a little bit about the movie. But um, it's really nice of the hangar to bring that in. I mean, it's not a well, it's not a bear on cocaine, so which which is and and Magic Mike's last dance. So I mean, we got some competition out there. Um, <laughs> it is definitely a contrast when you walk in the door as to what kind of <laughs> movie you're going to see. Um, and then there's Jesus right in between those two, which is very appropriate. Um, <laughs> uh, with that being said, it's fun to watch it for yourself. Um, it's also a neat way to bring somebody, uh, buy a ticket from somebody else and bring them to that movie. And not only just because you want them to know the Lord or to know a little bit about um, what church is supposed to look like, in my opinion, um, but also um, it's supportive of the hangar too for doing that, to bring that in. I mean, it's quite a risk for them. So anyway, if we have the trailer, we're, we're going to play that real quick. And then one of the trailers. It's a story of finding yourself, finding your way, finding faith. I just think it's going to be so uplifting. There's comedy, there's tenderness, there's complexity with all of the characters. The production value is incredible. It feels like we've just been dropped into a moment in history. Audiences are going to get a strong message of love and hope. I hope people feel tearful and joyful all at the same time. 
and maybe inspired to rediscover their own faith. It's been seven years to the screen for this movie and every other movie that we've made along the way. Woodlawn, I can only imagine, I still believe, American Underdog, it's all been leading to this. I remember discovering the Jesus Revolution Time Magazine cover story. And it was like unearthing this gem and that led to this whole exploration. I wanna meet people that live this. Come to find out Greg was a teenager, as was his wife Kathy, at the very origin of the Jesus movement in Southern California. The Jesus movement was an awakening. Not only was it the last great American awakening, I think it may have been the most significant of all. It's this beautiful fusion of Greg's coming of age story, this hippie street preacher, Lonnie Frisbee, and a down and out pastor who's pretty much lost everything. And to see him open up his doors to these hippies, that completely changed everything. I think so many of us that were drawn into the hippie movement really were searching for something more. Greg Laurie, at the time, is the lost soul. He's looking for truth, and he finds it in all the wrong places and in one right place. Have you decided? Uh, um, I, uh, I don't know. You want to decide right now? One of the things that excited me most about the script was the theme. The theme is loving the other. I think that's what our world needs. I think our world really needs to heal. I think it'll challenge people's notions of the need to be perfect to be a Christian. I want audiences to be encouraged. If they leave the theater feeling encouraged and inspired, then we've done our job. Our country and the world is prime for another revival. I am praying that this movie will bring hope to a generation. I think you're gonna see something on the screen you've not seen before. This story changed our nation and in many ways changed the world. You feel swept up into this movement. If a Jesus revolution happened before, it can happen again. Why can't the next Jesus revolution begin right now? We know that if God can heal me, he can heal anyone. If you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see an entire generation searching for all the right things, just in all the wrong places. We can only walk through doors open to us. And your church, that's a door that's shut. So I ask you, Pastor, what would it take for you to be desperate? Seems the movement's everywhere. It's spreading like wildfire. Let's see what God has in mind. Hmm. For me, I'm like a great grandchild to that movement. <laughs> um, my lineage is I ran into Chuck's church when I was in the Marine Corps out in California and went to Danny Bond's church and then came back to Omaha and went to um, um, Steve Johnson's church, who's a Calvary Chapel, who was sent out by some. So I'm like fourth generation away from the movement. And so 
uh, for me to, you know, I've read all the books and all that. It's fun to see it on screen for me. Um, that's what I felt in my heart. That's what I've experienced at every Calvary that I've ever gone to. Um, and, and hope that continues. And with what's going, going on with the revival, um, you know, at Osberg and, and all, it's exciting to see what God might do again. Um, but it's got to be His work. That's the point of the movie, in, in case you didn't know. You can't plan a revival. I mean, you can. You can call it what you want. You can put up a tent and say, revival this Thursday from, you know, 7 to 9. But that's not how it works. Um, God just pours out His Spirit and begins to change hearts. And I think we're in that place also, a place of desperation. I think there's a lot of things that have happened in the last uh, three or four years that have caused people to be what we would call divided, but I would say um, broken and desperate, um, which is what's needed for a heart change, for true uh, being born again, as opposed to just um, catching religion, you know. Um, And so, We've been praying for that, and it's it's up to God to pour out and do what He wants to do, and we'll be faithful. And uh, there's little revivals happening all the time, but I'd like to see another awakening like that, um, and I know we all would. So anyway, that's that's the movie, and I encourage you to go see it and um, and uh, enjoy it. I, you know, it's nice to go to a movie to enjoy and walk out and feel like you don't have to take a shower. You know, <laughs> it's it's one of those, so... Anyway, this morning we'll be in Psalm 103. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're back into the Psalms again. And this Psalm here is written by David in his later years, we assume, because he's got such a heart for uh, the forgiveness of sins. Um, He's been going through a tough time, obviously, uh, physically, we know. His bones ache. He feels uh, um, just ill and, and, and old, you know. Um, a hard life lived. And as he writes this song, we call it a song of perfect praise. It's probably the most perfect praise song written um, and the most perfect psalm written because that's all it is. He's just going over the things that God has done and it's almost, you know, systematic. Um, I would never say it's a list, but he goes through it in the right ways uh, uh, through the, 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 the steps that God has done in his life and what he's Uh, what he's thankful for. So this is a song of praise from David um, to his Lord, um, and it's a perfect song. It begins in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he's going to talk about his benefits, but I want to take a, a minute to talk about this. David is asking his soul to sing a worship song. Um, it's a strange thing to do to speak to yourself, uh, to tell yourself to do something. But he wants to be deliberate about this. I'll give you a, a scripture that comes to mind, and it's in Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. And we have to be careful about how we worship God. Is it with our soul or just with our lips, with our mouths? It needs to come from our soul. And so Isaiah challenges the nation of Israel as a prophet of God. Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have not, or have, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is uh, taught by the commandments of men. The lips are saying the right thing, the mouth is expressing the right words, and I feel that way myself sometimes when I sing the songs even here. My mind's not engaged, my heart's not engaged, but I am saying it. And if anybody was to look at me, they'd say, he's worshiping when I'm not. My mind is not involved in the song. I'm not hearing the the lyrics. I'm not 
giving them to God. I don't have him on the forefront of my mind. I'm doing a sing-along. You could almost see the red bouncing ball going across the words, you know, for those of you who have ever done that with your children, you know what I'm talking about. David is saying deliberately, my soul needs to worship you, not just my lips, not just my mouth, but my soul. It needs to come from my heart. And so he challenges us in that, challenges himself. In 2 Chronicles 32, 25, I'm going to just do 25, but I want to come back to the two verses on either end of that. It says, but Hezekiah, one of the kings of Israel, did not repay according to the favor shown him. For his heart was lifted up, and therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. Now, that's not to scare us into be better sure to thank God, you know. It tells us why he wasn't thanking God. There's always a reason. I can, I can feel myself not praising the Lord like I'm supposed to, and I can really focus harder and... But there's always a, it's always a symptom of a much deeper problem in my life. And the symptom for Hezekiah was this, his heart was lifted up. He was in a prideful place. He was in a place where worshiping someone higher than him, having gratitude towards God, wasn't even a thought. It was something that was secondary in his life because he was far more important. And that's the danger of self-worship, you know, um, and Hezekiah was in that place. Now, why I wanted to do the verses before and after is because it's very interesting where he is. If it says he's lifted up in his heart, lifted himself up, you would think, right? Perfect health, completely rich, not a care in the world. That's usually what I think of when someone is lifted up. They're not in a desperate place for God. Verse 24 says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And he prayed to the Lord and he spoke to him and gave him a sign, but Hezekiah, and that's when our verse hits, sick and dying, he was lifted up in his heart still. He was more important than worshiping God. And that's an amazing thing for me to read because that's when you think people are the most desperate when they're in that place, but they're only concerned for themselves sometimes. I've, I've got a, an older woman in our lives now th- uh, through marriage um, that has been sick for years, decades, but isn't lifted up in her heart. She's always praising the Lord in that. I mean, I'm sure she's praying for healing too and relief and comfort and all those things, but she's always praising and thanking God and not lifted up in her heart. It's as if, if God heals me, fine, like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire. If God delivers us, great, but it isn't necessary. We will serve the Lord. We will not bow our knee. Regardless of what happens to us in the fire, my worship of God doesn't change. This woman that I know worships God regardless of whether he heals me or not. Makes no difference at all on my worship. I would prefer healing. I would prefer relief from the pain, but that's not essential for my worship. Hezekiah, it seems, it has to be. Verse 26, after we realize that his heart is lifted up, then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Had to humble himself. Humble himself in sickness and near death, you know. As a pastor, I can't imagine coming alongside someone's deathbed or someone's sickbed and saying to them, are you sure you're not prideful right now? You know, that's not something you bring into the hospital with you. You're talking about prayer and comfort and empathy and compassion, and those are the only things. But never does it come across your mind to say, 
Um, not because you're sick. That's not why you're sick. But while you're sick, are you still prideful? Is there something going on in your heart that God wants to change and wants to do? So has he got your attention for some reason here? I don't bring that stuff up. I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit to do. I don't think I could ever guess or know those situations. David here, as he's older, probably dying, probably in his last days, is praising the Lord. He's looking back on a life we would say well-lived, except for those stories. He's got such highs and lows, doesn't he? David and Goliath, you know, that's a, you know, the Philistines, man, look out, you know. And then Bathsheba and Uriah, and it just, wow, what a life. What a character, you know? Well, this is that character's song. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and, uh, and forget not all of his benefits. And here's what the benefits are that David is, what's causing David to have this soulful worship, this heart of worship for God. The one who forgives all your iniquities. He puts that above um, he who heals your diseases. That's the first thing is the sin. The second thing is diseases for sure. Grateful for that. But the most important thing to David was the forgiveness of sins. That's what brought David the lowest. That's what brought David to that place of just very self-aware of his, of his human nature. That sinful nature was with Bathsheba and Uriah. That moment was one of the most humbling moments for him. He was always a humble man, always usable by God. But that was a low spot, and that's what vexed him. Sickness, fine. I would prefer that my bones didn't ache all the time. I would prefer that I wasn't feeling this way all the time. But it's my sin that's breaking me right now. And that's what he's praying for and thanking God for. He forgives all my iniquities. In Matthew chapter 9, it's the healing of the paralytic. So he got into a boat, Jesus did, crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Well, that's not what that guy was coming for. I want to be non-paralytic. I want to get up. You make people get up, right? Yeah, but I'm telling you, your sins are forgiven. Now, they don't say what his response was. They don't give the facial expression. I know what mine would have been. Is that code for I can get up and take up my bed and walk? Is that, what is this? It moves, it changes subjects to the people watching this happen. And it says, and at once, some of the scribes within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you to say, arise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Jesus used the healing of the disease or the paralysis in this man to prove that the more important is taking place invisibly or out of our sight, and that's the forgiveness of sins. That's more important. That's what he came to do. I didn't come for the Romans. I didn't come necessarily to heal you, although I will do that. I didn't come to feed you from five loaves and two fish, although I'll do that. 
I didn't come to walk on water. I did come, though, to set you free from your sins. And since that's something we can't see or know, that's a hard thing for us to comprehend. We haven't been to hell. It'd be one thing if we were sitting in hell. How grateful would we be then if we saw him show up and say, I'm here to get you out. Hallelujah. But when you're standing here, not sentenced to death yet, or at least haven't started your sentence yet, haven't gone to hell yet, and someone's telling you, I'm here to set you free from the sentence that's awaiting you. Okay. Thank you, I guess. I mean, I don't know what, it's hard. And so Jesus is forever trying to make that connection to them. No, I'm, I'm here for a much deeper purpose. And all they could see was their immediate needs. My, my, this is what I need now. I, whatever, eternity, forgiveness of sins. That's way over there when I die. I need, I need food. I need money. I need healing. I need, because I'm trying to give you the better. Uh, fine, I'll take care of all these temporal things, temporary things. But now will you receive the eternal things, which are far more important. And so he tries to share that with them. Now, the disease, thank goodness. Now, when does that happen, though? He does heal us from all our diseases. Now, David is in the process of dying. I don't think that he's, and nobody just dies of old age, no matter what they tell you. Something breaks. We've talked about that. Your heart stops. Your lungs don't work. Something, the brain, whatever. Things just stop. We're car parts. You know, it's a car and it just breaks. You know, you need new tires, you need a tune-up, and then sometimes an overhaul, you know. Our bodies just break. So what is he talking about? When are, your, when are all the diseases healed? What's well, in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. David's looking forward to that. He understands that. He died in that hope, knowing that that was going to take place. God does heal all the diseases, if not now, eventually. Verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction? I don't know that everybody knows that that's happening. You have to talk about sin for people to understand why there's destruction. It's difficult to share Jesus in a self-help kind of way, you know. I find churches doing that, and I find myself even... It's not that he doesn't want to help us in our immediate circumstances. He does. He does. He's a compassionate person, just like you, you know. If you've got a son or daughter that's wayward or that doesn't love you, and they call you up and say, I've got a flat tire. Can you come change it? Of course I will. I'd love to help you. I can't believe you called. I'll be right there. I'd love to help you with your tire. Now, that's the immediate need. What you love for is a a long relationship with them afterwards. I'd love for you to be, uh, I wouldn't just be your on-call service maintenance person in your life. I'd love to have that father-son relationship or that father-daughter relationship with you. That's what I'm hoping for. So, of course, I'll change the tire, but that's not my goal. God's goal is to have a long-term relationship with every one of us, and we've separated ourselves from him because of our sin. 
We've sinned so much in our lives that we've separated. He can't have that unholiness in his presence. It's, it's ironic that that song is, was number one for a while, getting prepared to do something unholy. I'm not going to pick on Sam. Sam, Sam. Sam needs Jesus. He doesn't know any better, or he does, and he's rejected it, and he wants to bring as many people with him as possible to where he's going. But Sam needs Jesus. He needs the forgiveness of sins. He needs to know what it's like to be close to the Lord. At different times, we call upon God before we're saved for him to come in and do some maintenance on our life. Please come, do this. Hey, come and do this. I'd be glad to, but I want a relationship with you. I don't want to just fix the immediate, although I will. And that's part of having a relationship with me, but I don't want to, I don't want to be on call. I want to be in your life permanently. And so God has redeemed us from this destruction. Well, some of the destruction verses I picked out is Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes sin, receives forgiveness of sins, shall not be hurt by the second death. Death is coming to all of us, and we all know that. Everybody in this room in 100 years will be gone. None of us will be here anymore. And some of us a lot sooner than that. (laughs) Won't take a hundred years for me for sure. And then there's a a life after that. There's an eternity waiting for me. And I'm going to spend it in one of two places, either with God, based off my decision now while I'm living. Either I'm either going to spend forever with him because I love him, because he loves me, or I'm going to reject him and I'm going to wish granted not be with him forever and be in hell. That's my choice. He's rooting for us to choose him. He's rooting for us to pick the path of life. Old Testament even says that. I've laid before you. There's two paths, one of death and one of life. Choose life. Now we take that and use it for abortion, and of course you should. But that's not the point of the scripture. It's out of context. The context is you, the living, right now have a choice to make. Will my eternity be with God or will my eternity be separated from God? That's my call. That's my choice. He lays the path before us to choose, though. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul is describing the persecution that he's going through to the Corinthians. I'm persecuted, but not forsaken, struck, now, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul thought that was a victory. I'm still walking or being drug. You know, half the time he was being brought out by his friends that were with him, his entourage, because he'd gotten so beat. But I'm not dead. I'm not destroyed, which means I'm living to tell another story. Another time I get to tell people about Jesus, another city, another group of people. Are you dead? Of course not. You're here. So you're not destroyed. And so you have something to offer and to participate in and to give God thanks for. He redeems us from destruction. The second part of verse 4, who crowns you, with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. It's not the crown the world chooses or wants on their heads is loving kindness and tender mercies. We have different kinds of crowns, power, wealth, renown, you know, fame. Uh, Those are all important to the world. Our crown as Christians is that, loving kindness and tender mercies. That's a crown that rests on my head. 
That's what causes me to say, I, I love you, God. I worship you, God, with my soul, with my heart, not just with my lips. It's because that loving kindness that he has for me, because he has that tender mercies, not just mercies, but tender mercies. I try to always emphasize that. I can be a merciful dad, you know. <laughs> but the tender mercies is a whole, that's a whole nother level, you know. Where's Anna? Should I use you this morning? I won't use you this morning. She's my daughter. It's kind of a funny story. You guys are like, tell us, tell us. <laughs> Yesterday we had a, a baby shower for him. Yeah, um, um, uh, yeah, the the new one, yeah, Emerson. Thank you. I've got seven now. Okay, so give me a break. Emerson, cute little girl on her way. She's on her way, and so it was a surprise shower, and we were doing the balloons and decorating, getting ready for the for JC and Andrea to come and surprise them and all. And I took the helium and and did a little song. You know, I thought that was really because that's you know I was about died afterwards. I took too much helium in. I thought my, we're on our way to the hospital after I did that because I sang the whole song. And Anna recorded it and she quickly put it in the family chat. She went, oh, no, 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 no. Unsend, unsend, unsend because Andrea and JC are on the family chat so they would have seen me singing a song blowing up the balloon. We had taken all this time and I'm looking at her panic. <laughs> And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, if they know, they know. It's hardly worth getting upset over. And she unsent it. But, well, because JC and Andrew don't have updated phones, that unsend version was not on their phone. So they walked in a little unsurprised. But I could have shown mercy, Anna, whatever, you know, or tender mercy. That was, I had an option at that point. I'm like, it's no big deal. Of the grand scheme of things, nothing is more important than Anna's feelings right now. She needs to not feel bad because nobody, it's whatever. We're going to have a great time anyway. No big deal. That's one of the rare times I actually gave out tender mercies, I think. Um, it's an option for us. And our father always has tender mercies for us, you know. Um, and David is so thankful for that. Not just merciful, I oughta, but I'm not. That's not his God. He knows his God saying, oh, I, you know I should, and I know I should, but I love you so much, and I'm so grateful that you're, you're humbling yourself, and you're repentant, and you're close. I want to have this relationship with you, you know. And David is so thankful in his old age for that tender mercies, you know, and uh, just very grateful for it. And um, it's really important as parents that we have those tender mercies for our kids more often than not. We need to have those tender mercies. They need to know that their feelings are very important to us, you know, um, and not necessarily the schedule or not necessarily the whatever it may be, um, but that are, their feelings are very valuable to us. And David understands that. God feels this way towards me. And so he's thankful that that, and that's a crown he wears proudly. I have God's loving kindness and God's tender mercies on me. And that's a, that's a, feather in my cap. That's a jewel in my crown, and I'm proud to wear it. I want everybody to know it. Verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities. Now he'll elaborate on that because that's Israeli or you know, Jewish poetry is to build and build and build. But he's very thankful for the fact that we, although he's talked about his tender mercies and his loving kindness, he says, it's just so great that God is merciful and gracious towards me. He's so slow to anger. Oh, if there's one thing I wish I had when I was a young parent, younger parent, a new parent, was that I'd be much slower to anger, much slower. I just felt like there's a lot of regret there. Not that I was an abusive dad or anything like that, but I was quick to, let's get this corrected. You know, we want to nip this in the bud. Is that the right term? I don't know. Need to handle this, you know, kind of thing, because we don't want any wayward kids, and we're going to make sure that they're going to follow the ways of the Lord, and we're going to make sure there's no rebellion, you know, kind of thing. And that wasn't, it wasn't harsh, but it was just, there was no, I wasn't slow. I was quick to be obedient to God is what I thought, in my opinion. And these are the verses that escaped me, I think, in my young age, is that God is very old and seasoned. He's ancient of days. He's the beginning and the end. And so when he looks at you, please know that. Although he's a father, he's also, I mean, not a grandfather, but he's old like that. You know, grandpas are just kind of like nothing really moves them to jump out of their recliner and go running out the door. You know, they're just like, yeah, we'll get, we'll get that taken care of. You know, what do you mean we'll get it taken care of? We should be panicking. I've seen this a bazillion times, the old person would say in the room, you know, and they're slow. They'll handle it. They understand the urgency. They understand the importance. They're not neglecting it. It'll, it'll, it all, and we who have not experienced that, you know, and they're right. And it always works out. My grandfather was loading his BB gun. I'll remember this vividly. One of those core memories, you know. I'm sitting on his stairs to the basement, and we've got the BB gun. He's going to get it out for me. He's showing me some things about it and all that. And it's the kind that you had to twist the top and load down the barrel. It's that old kind of thing. You don't care. you got to listen anyway. Well, as he's doing this, I had already had the gun in my hand and had cocked it previously. So there's energy, if you don't understand that, built up and ready in the trigger. So as he's unscrewing this, it goes off right into his big, beefy, meaty hands. You know, heavy, he's a Norwegian, I mean, Viking guy. And I looked at him, oh boy, you know, because it hurts. I mean, that BB gun hurts. I don't care who you are. It still hurts. Oh no. You need to really be careful about the safety and the cocking. I'm like... Are you going to tell my mom or not, Grandpa? You know? Well, it's just kind of how to... Mad respect for him at that point. I'm like, no way did you just shoot yourself in the hand and look at me and just give me some more pointers on gun safety. (laughs) Our Father in Heaven is slow to anger. He sees what we do. He's not happy about it. It's wrong. It needs to be corrected. Make no mistake about it. He's not overlooking it but he's slow to the anger. We live in an age of grace right now, a very long period of age of grace. Jesus says, I didn't come for the wrath yet. He will, 
But right now I'm here for grace. Right now I'm here for healing. I'm here for the sick. I'm here to bring the lost closer to God. He's, he's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, the scriptures tell us. We're down here like a bunch of kids. God, we want the wrath of God to come down and destroy everybody that's not like us, you know, kind of thing. And we're just, and God's like, we're going to get there. I wish we didn't have to get there, God would say. We're going to get there. Yeah, wrath is coming. But right now, I'm trying to get people saved. I'm trying to tell people about my love for them and grace and forgiveness that's available if they'll take it. That's what I'm here for. And I have to remember that. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. He's not just tender mercies. He's got an abundance of it. It's inexhaustible. Now, mercy, if you don't know what that means, it's not receiving what you deserve, a spanking. He's got inexhaustible mercies. His pool of mercy, you can't tap it. You can't drain it out. You can't dry it up. It's abounding. And then David follows up with verse 9. In case anybody misunderstands me this morning, he will not always strive with us, put up with us. There is a time when that mercy comes to an end. There is a time when the wrath of God does come on those who have rejected Jesus. There, is a time, there has to be. But he's slow to that. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He keeps it inside. Now, if I had kept cocking that BB gun and kept shooting my grandpa, pretty sure I'd have gotten a spanking from him and my parents and anybody else that could line up for that day, you know. A lesson learned, though, you know. And it was so impactful to me that I'll never forget that picture in my mind of that moment. Probably for this time right here. I go through those things, and please consider this, whatever you're going through right now in your life, it may be a very difficult or a very strange, a very prominent portion of your existence, you know, but God will use it later. He absolutely will. He's using it right now for me. That moment wasn't just for me to see how great this man was in front of me that was apparently had no feeling in his fingers or something. Because I know he felt it. There was a black mark, and I mean, there was an indention, and I mean, it was. But I saw his his patience with me, you know, for this moment, so I could understand. And in that patience that he showed me, he's also shown me a characteristic of God by showing that to me. And you do the same thing, and I do the same thing with those around me all the time. We have opportunities to show the characteristics of God to those around us every day, every single day. He will not always strive with us, he says, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. We deserve much more. David knows that. And that is the first step, and I believe the last step in a sense. When you understand your position and distance from God's holiness and how unholy you are and the sins that you've committed, you appreciate, you have reverence for him, you respect, you receive forgiveness you're humble, you're broken. These things come out of your mouth. You're in a good place. Now, he doesn't always leave us there. We sang a song here about uh, boldly coming to God in JC's final prayer there before we got into the word. Boldly coming to the Lord. We don't come in boldness of our own. We come in boldness of his grace and his mercy. We're able to come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy because he said we could. My boldness is in his word. My boldness is in his permission that he's given me. Not in my own abilities, or worthiness, but in him. If you said I can boldly come, I'm going to walk in bold. Not because I'm arrogant or prideful, but because I know you. Because I know you. 
Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's a word we don't use very often. Acts 2, 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The word remission means this, the cancellation of debt, charge, or penalty. Put those three words in there. For this is my blood of my new covenant, which is shed for many for the cancellation of debt, for the, char- for the cancellation of the charge, for uh, removing the penalty of sins. It's a blessing. It's something to always meditate on. And we use that scripture in, um, that we just read for communion every time. The, sh- the blood that Jesus shed on the cross was for the removal of my sins. And uh, this morning, if you haven't accepted that from Christ, if you haven't placed your trust in him this morning, what, and what that means is, and we use those terms all the time, maybe people don't know what it means, but I hear what you're saying about what Jesus did. I want it to be applied to my life. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins specifically. I believe this message is for me. I believe God wrote that and intended me to be a part of this. That's it. That's it. When you believe that in your heart, that's salvation. That's understanding. That's forgiveness from sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, not just for everybody else in this room, but for me specifically in the things I've done. That's forgiveness. You're receiving it this morning. That's what we mean by that. And deliberately in your heart, it's important to pray these prayers. It's between you and the Lord. We don't have anything to do with your salvation. It's between you and God. What you do with today's message, is it's his word to you. Believe it or not, that's up to you. But if you choose to believe it this morning, it's just a simple prayer. Just beginning that conversation with him. Well, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to say it. Believe me, any dad that has his daughter call on the line will take anything they have to say. Any dad that has a son on the line that they haven't seen or spoken to in years will receive anything they have to say. Start talking to him. Bring out your heart. Share your heart with him. Share the brokenness that you feel. Share the thanksgiving if that's going on in your heart for what he's done for you. Share with him how you want to know more about him and more about his word and understand this relationship. That you want this relationship to go farther than just today. I want it to be bigger and deeper and more. I don't want to ever be apart from you ever, ever again. I'm so sorry. I'm so glad I'm back in your life. I'm so glad you're back in my life. I never want to. That's how you pray. It's very simple. You're starting a relationship with the living God who loves you and has mercy and forgiveness for you and is always thinking about you. You're just starting that conversation. That's an easy person to talk to. Who's always looking out for your best interests and just waiting for you to talk to them because they love you so much. Um, verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Fear is a funny word for people that are just coming to know the Lord, but for us that have known him for a while, hopefully are understanding what he means by that fear. When I saw my grandpa take the bee before me, you know, there's a little bit of fear in me. Not because I thought he was going to just do something drastic or bad, but just 
I mean, it was such a sweet time. He was taking the time to do this. I mean, he's, you know, he's got other things he could be doing, but he's sitting there and to ruin it with my stupidity, you know, that's the fear, that broken fellowship, that moment was lost. And instead he just went past the moment and just used it in our relationship. That's why there was respect, not because he could take the BB and the pain, although that was impressive but that he didn't want the fellowship to stop either. It's so important. Please know that about your father in heaven. I don't want the fellowship to stop. He would say to you, I don't want this moment to be the end. Let's go through it. You, you need to apologize. You need to ask for forgiveness. And I need to be allowed to give that to you. That's appropriate. But I don't want to stop. I just want to keep going through this and your humbleness and brokenness and willingness to own up to it. That's what we do in relationships. And so David's excited about that. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed my sins from me. And that's pretty far. East and west never touch. North and south do, but east and west don't. Stand on the south pole, you're going to go to the north. You keep going east, you just can keep going east and east and east and east and east. You never stop going east. You go south, you know, then you got to go north. Then you got to go south, then you got to go north. East, 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 west, 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 west. You get the idea. David picked the perfect example. How far is the east from the west? That makes you think a little bit. Well, forever. Exactly. My sins aren't forgiven north to south. They're forgiven east to west. They never, ever touched. They never, ever thought of again. He remembers them no more. He doesn't ever bring them up. It isn't a list. He goes, okay, I'll forgive you this time. I'm remembering it in case I need it later. Now we do that with each other. I forgive you. And then you do something else wrong. I remember the last time I forgave you. And we pull out our list. It's been, Steve, six times I've forgiven you for that same thing. I got it written down here seven times, you know. But with God, it's gone. That's amazing. David is so appreciative of God's forgiveness. As a father pities his children, I don't need any pity from anybody, we say as Midwesterners. We're good folk. No. David needed pity, and he knew it. I need pity from God. I need him to look on me and have a, a pity on me and say, I, I understand who you are. I understand what you're made from. I understand. I am acquainted with your grief, he says in Hebrews. I'm a high priest who was tempted in all things, but without sin, I'm acquainted with sorrows. I'm acquainted with grief. I understand what you're going through because I went through it too. You know? And he knows who we are. And David is so thankful that God knows who he is above and beyond what we think we are. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. The writer here says, as he goes over this and thinking about the salvation we have, in God and what God has done for us, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? How can we neglect that? How can we walk away from that salvation? I mean, it's a great salvation. It's not a little salvation. It's not helping me out of the public pool from drowning. It's helping me out of the middle of the ocean, you know. I mean, it's a great salvation. I can't believe they even found me. I can't believe they came looking for me. I can't believe they took that risk. You know, 
David says, it's a great salvation and we've been forgiven. Verse 15, for as, or as for man, his days, he means days on earth, <coughs> are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to his, I'm sorry, to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. He always puts that in there. There is no universal salvation offered in scripture, although that is something that's taught. He did die for the whole world, but only those who receive that forgiveness, who accept that forgiveness. It's available to everybody, but you have to receive it personally. It isn't just automatically applied. You have to, you have to receive it. Now, he's not just saying that our days are worthless. He's just saying you're, you have a very short time on this earth. We think it's, for, I mean, it's all we've known. And, and understandably, we don't know what eternity is like. We only know what a life looks like. And for us, a decade is a really long time. 20 years is a long time. Oh my goodness, you've been married 50 years. I mean, and you say that in our presence, and that's a big deal for us, you know. But you say that in God's presence, he's like, 50 years, huh? You know. And he doesn't lord that over us. He's just letting us know your time on this earth is very short. And we spend a lot of time thinking how we're going to spend this amount of time and what we're going to do, and what we're going to accomplish, and how much money we're going to make, and how many kids we're going to have, and what our marriage is going to be like in our careers, and my retirement plan, and all these things are there. Got a much bigger thing to think about here, because it's in this amount of time they make our decision right now how we're going to spend this. And this is in the, obviously not near enough. But it's just to show us a little bit of a scope, you know, to give us some perspective. We don't have any time to waste. Redeem the time. That came up on Wednesday's teaching. I'll start off with James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? There's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now, most of you don't know who Mr. Beast is. Some of you will know who Mr. Beast is. YouTube guy. He had an interview with someone who talked to him, asked him about eternity, asked him about salvation, asked him about Jesus. He says, I don't like to think about that. You know, he goes, I, I just, I don't know. There's a lot going on. I mean, yeah, I'm scared to death of eternity and what that looks like and what it means afterwards. I mean, is it just blackness and afterwards we just don't exist? I guess I don't remember the years before I was born. Probably won't remember the years after. He goes into this big thing, but at the end of it, he's just like stunned. And here's what he says. I'll worry about that when I'm 80. And every one of us in this room knows of somebody that didn't make it to 80. And that's all that James is trying to say there. You say tomorrow is going to be this, that, or the other thing. I'm going to worry about salvation then. I'm going to worry about this then. I understand that mentality of putting death off, but it doesn't wait. And I don't know when that's going to happen to any of us. Helium about killed me yesterday. You don't know what's going to happen. I almost didn't show up today. You don't know. I'm just saying, be prepared. Do it now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. 
Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, walk in wisdom, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, walk deliberately, thinking about how this is going to impact my future. Do it now, not like a foolish person who just lived and walks through life, not even thinking about what's going to happen or, or, or walking in a way where the, uh, the seeds that you plant today, like they're not going to bear fruit in the next week or two or next month or year. Plant now in expectation and hope of what's going to happen. Redeem the time. He says the same thing in Colossians, Paul does to the church in Colossia. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We need to redeem the time. Now we'll close here. I went a little bit long this morning. Verses 19 through 22, very simple. Just a great way to end your morning prayers. That's all I'm going to say about it. I don't have any cross-references. It's just a great way to end your morning prayers. However you pray in the morning, whatever you bring up to the Lord, and if you don't, start. But this is a great way. Open up your Bible to that section and read it. If you can't remember it, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. That takes care of your day. Bless the Lord, you his angels. Those are messengers heavenly host, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. In other words, if that's good for them, that's good for me too. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. In other words, that is my goal today, is not only to obey his word, but to do what his will is. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul a great way to end your prayer in the morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and your word. We thank you for the salvation you've given us. This morning, some of us may have even received that for the first time. Most of us are just grateful and thankful for what we have in you. And we're reminded today of the freedom we have from our sins and the reason that we're breathing and that we're not destroyed, but we're here to share your love, to share your gospel, your good news with as many people as we can, to bring as many people during this season of grace into your presence, into your salvation. Help us to be busy about your work this week. For those that are receiving you for the first time this morning, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to be born again. I don't want to be this creature that I've become. I want to be a new creation in you. I pray that you begin that today with me. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. I receive that forgiveness in my heart. I worship you with my whole being, body, mind, and soul, and my spirit. I pray that you help me to understand your word and that my relationship with you would grow and get deeper. That I'd be mature in the faith. I'd know about my relationship with you, that I'd know you better, that we could finish each other's sentences, that as I read your word, I'd know it so well, I'd be able to just share it because I know you. Lord, we're thankful for you. We're very thankful. As David praised you and thanked you from his, from his innermost being, from his soul, from his heart, we praise you this morning for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. If you need a Bible, grab one on your way out the door. They're on the sound booth. Um, have a great week.